Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. We very much take Canon very, very seriously. And there are many, many people behind the scenes who prioritize that. So we have it in mind. And by the time everything has concluded, uh, all things should be in place. There was a big rescue on episode four of Obi-Wan Kenobi, and we are here to rescue you from the doldrums of everyday life. Welcome to the Dagobah Dispatch, where not unlike Obi-Wan Kenobi himself, diving deep into the waters of the planet Nur, we will be diving deep into everything that happened in the latest installment. Plus, we have the show's writer and executive producer, Joby Harold who's going to answer our burning questions. And we have Indira Varma, who plays Tala on the show. And she has some very interesting things to reveal about Tala's backstory and why she believes her character is going to all these lengths to help the former Jedi Master. You do not want to miss those interviews. I am Dalton Ross, joined as always by my co-hosts with the most. First off, we have the perpetually early rising Lauren Morgan. How you doing, uh, Lauren? How you holding up? I'm holding up, but I'm probably going to fall asleep on my desk in a few hours. I've been up for a while. (laughs) She has already watched episode four approximately 18 and a half times. And checking in from our Imperial Outpost out in California, Devin Kogan is here as well. What's going on, Devin? Hello, hello. Calling in from the the outer rim of of Los Angeles. (laughs) I'm excited to chat about the the new episode, which just dropped. But before we get into it, I just want to say we are super duper appreciative to everyone for listening and especially to those who have subscribed, told their friends and rated and reviewed us wherever you get your podcast. It means a lot. We really appreciate it. And we really encourage you to reach out to us on social media. So find us on Twitter, Instagram or wherever and say, hello there. How was that? Was that that lame? No, I I loved it. It was perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Lauren's not commenting. No, she's shaking her head. No, no, no. It was fine. No. Oh, see, that was really, that was really, (laughs) that was like, you treat me like you're like a six-year-old kid, right? Like the parental instinct. Oh, it was fine. I have a lot of experience with a six-year-old kid. Yeah, you do. Sorry. (laughs) Uh, Let's let's talk about the episode. Episode four that just dropped of Obi-Wan Kenobi. And I feel like you could sort of subtitle this episode, How Obi-Wan Got His Groove Back. He uh, is is slicing and dicing stormtroopers. He's making force noises. He's pulling objects. He's holding off breaking glass. So uh, not the super lame performance uh, we saw him put up against Vader last week. Devin, what'd you you make of this episode of Obi-Wan Kenobi? You know, I liked it. I think it was, I want to watch it again, but right now I think it's probably the weakest of the four so far. I don't, I don't mean to start things on a downer note. To be clear, it's good. And I had a delightful time watching it. But I think, you know, we've only got six episodes of this whole whole show. And this is episode four. Um, we're two thirds of the way through. And I I don't know. I just wanted a little bit more. I think we're starting to see those steps of, of Obi-Wan sort of, like you said, getting his groove back, getting back into um, full Jedi master mode. But it was sort of just another kind of jailbreak episode. It feels 
quite similar to A New Hope, where we've got Obi-Wan, you know, breaking into an imperial stronghold to rescue Princess Leia. But then there was a lot of stuff I really loved about this episode. I, I loved some great lightsaber fights, some um, some really fun action scenes. I really like Indira Varma. So I don't know. I mean, again, I, I really enjoyed it. But if I had to rank the episodes, probably not not my top. What, what about you? What was your reaction? Well, it's I want to get hear what Lauren has to say, because I, I think it's interesting what you said, because I'm of two minds on this episode. I really liked the sort of action that we had in it. And I actually was enjoying it while I was watching it a lot. But then I did ask myself afterwards, did that move the story at all? Basically, the bad guys had Leia. Now the good guys have Leia. That's sort of the only movement we got in that. So Lauren, what'd you think? I actually really enjoyed it. And I think it was really just sort of like you started to see Obi-Wan start to come back to himself. Like not even in when he started to do his lightsaber maneuvers in the hallways against the stormtroopers, but also on Jabim when he met the other rebellion leaders. Or I, I don't know if you could call them rebellion leaders at this point, but the other uh, Tala's co-workers uh, and colleagues. And you could start to see that sort of like Clone Wars general coming out of him where he was looking at the fortress and being like, okay, we can do this and this. And then you could kind of just start seeing like that tactical sort of Jedi come out of him. And I noticed that, and I was thinking that he was weak in defending himself last week because I think he still has a sort of a block that he should be defended against what he did against Anakin. But when it came to protecting Leia, that Jedi, like it, he just came right out because he, he had someone to protect. And I think he was much less conflicted about that than he was about saving his own hide last week. So how how strong is he is the question, right? Because obviously he looked a lot better this week. That scene where he does actually take her out of that chamber where it's sort of all dark. And then he shows up with a lightsaber and it gets dark. It was super cool. I loved that. Great directing by yeah, Deb Chow. Great. Super cool. So he's very effective in this rescue mission. But again, he's going against stormtroopers, right? Like, and no disrespect intended <laughs> to the stormtrooper community. <laughs> Maybe a little disrespect. They're not clone troopers, man. That's what I'll say. Like, you know, the the stormtroopers have always been lesser to the yeah. clone troopers he served with. So, but I mean, he needs to practice a little bit. So some lousy shooting stormtroopers are maybe a good practice session for him. Is, is it like level one, Devin? Is this like just sort of like level one in a video game where like he he's not ready to face the boss yet, but he's going to just get some uh, some good practice in on these uh, these guys? Yeah, it's interesting. I kind of like that it's a very slow kind of transformation we're seeing in Obi-Wan. It's not like he has some pep talk from Qui-Gon and all of a sudden, yep, he's ready to go. He's back to the old guy. I like that we see, we're we seeing a little bit of these sort of little baby steps because he's out of practice. It's been 10 years. He's been chopping up meat in the Tatooine desert, working as a butcher, um, which doesn't exactly prepare you for lightsaber battles against um, stormtroopers on crazy water moons run by Imperials. Um, I liked, Lauren, in your, in your write-up for EW.com, you talked about how I love that scene where we see him sort of swimming and, and getting into the, the fortress through the water, which is is very much, it's kind of a Phantom Menace throwback. You, you said, you know, he still has some underwater game, which I, I yeah. love. But yeah, I still think if Obi-Wan were to go up against Vader tomorrow, yeah, I think he would still get his butt kicked. Um, he's, he's not quite there yet, but we'll see. He, we've got two episodes left. Back in the back to tank he goes. We have got an inordinate amount of back to tank footage uh, this season. By the way, can I just say, if I were suddenly transported to a galaxy far, far away, and I wanted to figure out how to become super rich, like I'm talking Crimson Dawn rich, 
the first thing I would do is build an anti-tracking device because the amount of tracking that goes on with this franchise, whether you're aboard the Millennium Falcon, going to Yavin 4, or if it's Slave 1, leaving Kamino or Admiral Holdo's fleet, or now Lola, there is just a damn lot of tracking happening. And you think someone would have figured out how to counter that at some point with some sort of like device that would, you know, basically ferret out the track. Do you think they'd be basically checking them everything, everyone for scanners by the time that, you know, these tracker devices. So I'm I'm hoping since Obi-Wan put Lola together that he takes a look at her real quick. Uh, next week. And it's like, yeah, we're going to throw this thing, you know, let's, let's get into our weekly segment titled Dalton could not have been more wrong. Okay, we know (laughs) that I sat here on this podcast and told you that, you know, Vader and Obi-Wan aren't going to face off till episode six, just, you know, don't rush it, it's going to happen, but it's going to be a while. Then of course, the next thing you know, they're battling in the desert. I assumed that O'Shea Jackson would be playing Quinlan Voss when they name dropped Quinlan Voss last week and told everyone that that was going to happen. Instead, he's some dude named Roken, who, by the way, is more than happy to stake out a very firm position and then change his mind on a dime. Like, I don't know if Obi-Wan was using a Jedi mind trick or what, but that was a complete 180 by Roken in like 15 seconds after we'd already met him. And he's hanging out like with the Pen15 crew, Maya Erskine's in there, Sully, and then poor Wade Resilian, who a moment of silence for Wade Resilian, blown up in his T-47 while rescuing Obi-Wan. That dude got name-checked quite a few times for some like rando pilot destined to die in like one scene of action. But what do you what did you all make of this uh, this trio? I, I, I'm always happy to see Maya Erskine pop up. You know, I, I think that was fun. And it's kind of fun to see sort of the baby steps of the rebellion. You know, this is not quite, the Rebel Alliance is not quite at what it will be eventually. But no, yeah, that is something I caught too, where I was like, that is a, a pretty quick heel turn from going going like, you know, no, I'm not going to help you to be like, okay, I'll help you. I will say, I mean, Ewan McGregor is very charming. If he came to me and was yes. like, hey, I need your help, I would be like, mm, okay, fine. Whatever you say, Ewan McGregor. Whatever he asks. I'll do whatever he asks. I'll, I'll allow it. <laughs> My Erskine, I love Pen15, so shout out to Pen15 here. It's hard when she's like really seriously upset about her pilot dying, and I just am thinking about all the Pen15 storylines that are just so absurd and ridiculous, but you know, good stuff, good stuff there. Lauren, what'd you think about O'Shea Jackson making his uh, debut here? I did think, again, as I did last week when they uh, Vader and, uh, and Obi-Wan fought, I was like, ah, Dalton was wrong about this. Talking about Quinlan Vos, though, uh, and I'm zooming ahead a little bit, the Tomb of the Fallen Jedi. Uh, there was it. in one of the uh, one of the tanks that was holding the dead Jedi, which was creepy, 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 creepy. It did look like Quinlan was in there, or there was a character who was modeled after the design that Quinlan traditionally had. So, I mean, I don't think that was him because it would be weird to be like, hey, we mentioned this character, but we don't notice that we don't know that he actually is dead. But I did think that was like a weird little Easter egg. But agreeing with Devin, I do love to see like sort of the baby steps of the rebellion and how these like little cells are kind of working all around the galaxy and how this little cell, you know, like their tech was so like, like they had to hit it to get it to work. And how rough and how like, you know, this isn't the rebellion that we see Princess Leia leading in in nine years. This is really just 
These are just people who are fed up and are trying their damnedest to do anything to get a, you know, to wage a battle against the empire. Lauren, you did notice another character in one of those uh, stasis chambers in the fortress, didn't you? Mm-hmm. It was interesting because as we were going through that those chambers, which were, as I said, were super creepy, uh, most of the characters didn't seem to be anyone that I could identify except for one that was on the Clone Wars named Terrace Sanub. I think that's how I, the, the name, they say the name, and I apologize if I mispronounce that, but it's been a while since I've seen the episodes. He was the first one that Obi-Wan like looked at dead on. And the other, there are other characters. There was one that kind of resembled uh, Luminari Dooley, but I don't think that was her, even though we know later in Star Wars Rebels that the Empire or the Inquisitors are using her as bait to sort of get Kanan out of, out of hiding. So it was just kind of like really interesting just to see like, and it seems like it was a lot of like, there were some Jedis, but it was just some Force sensitives. And there was that chilling shot of the youngling And I just thought that was like, that was a really creepy moment, but I thought it was really effective. Spoiler alert, uh, in our conversation with Joby Harold, which you can listen to right after this, it's part of this podcast talking about this episode. He explained some of the inspiration for that scene and that look specifically of them sort of in those, those chambers. So make sure to listen to that. I want to chat about the scene of Reva trying to break into Leia's mind to get the information as to where, you know, the path is and you know this is interesting because we know something that neither character in the scene knows that Leia has force powers but she doesn't know it yet uh, we assume obviously and Reva doesn't know it so the question is is she's trying to break into her mind will she notice something kind of you know Kylo Ren style trying to get into Rey's mind and she does make an, a note that oh you're strong but that's about it uh, Devin what did you make of that scene between those two I also watching that scene sort of the flags went up. I was like, "Ooh, are we going to get some sort of, you know, acknowledgement here that oh, Leia is force sensitive?" But yeah, I think, you know, she's very young as we know, you know, sort of her force powers aren't really she doesn't start to develop them until she's, you know, much older. I'm curious whether we'll get any more hints at Leia's force ability throughout the series or whether this is just sort of a one-time deal where it's like, you know, we know she's she's very strong. She's able to, you know, hold off, you know, other other force sensitive people trying to break into her head. But I'm I'm curious to see if we get any other other sort of nods to her abilities or whether this is just a one time thing. I kind of hope we don't in a weird way. You know what I mean? I, kinda, I think I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Because it just it wouldn't like how are you going to backtrack that, right? right? How are you going to backtrack if you sort of all of a sudden she's like, you know, levitating objects or doing things like that of that nature. Right. It's just not going to work. And again, I'll just I'll I'll plug the the story of Joby, the interview with Joby Harold, where we talk about some of the things already and making sure they fit with those later episodes because there have been some questions that we've talked about on this podcast in terms of her original message to Obi Wan. Does that still make sense? So I asked him about that, and you'll get you'll get an answer from Joby. So make sure to check that out. Anything else you guys want to hit on from this episode? Anything that like particularly you know, uh, set your radar up, or you liked or disliked? Um, I really enjoyed Obi-Wan hiding Leia under his trench coat or whatever the thing was, like the Muppets uh, hiding, you know, as they're trying to go into an office. That was so funny and ridiculous. And, I, and even I was like, 
he doesn't even have like the right facial hair for it because like everyone has to be clean shaven in the empire. So I was just like, way to hide in front of all of these imperial troops. That was just so silly, but I loved it. It was very Bojack Horseman, and that's he, what yeah. I thought of. <laughs> yeah. Vincent, adult man. No, I, I thought of the I thought of the Muppets like hiding under coats. Like it, that's just the first thing I thought of. I kind of like the idea, though, of him just pretending to be like a slovenly, like hungover, like <laughs> imperial officer who just went on a bender for like a week. Just... Also, I was just like, hide Leia behind you. It's not as obvious when she's, this, you know, at the side of you. Like, come on, man. But yeah. I just thought that was that was very, very funny. Absolutely. Anything from you, Devin? Anything else? No, I just I'm really excited for the last two episodes. I'm very curious to see where it goes. And I'm curious whether we will see, you know, Leia returned to Alderaan quickly or whether, you know, that'll, I, I'm just very curious to see where it goes. I, I honestly don't know. I mean, how it's going to resolve. I know we're going to have some sort of Vader moment. I know we're going to have some sort of moment of, you know, Obi-Wan reconnecting with the force. But other than that, I'm, I'm very curious to see what, what happens. I did think that uh, Vader backing off of Reva so quickly when she's like, I have a tracker on him. He's like, well, then, okay, I won't force you yeah. to do anymore. And I just thought that was funny. Flip-flopper. Like, well, He's a flip-flopper. Well, fine. I have to go back to my back to tank. So that's, you know, I thought that was kind of a, a quick turnabout on uh, his mood. I, I agree. Totally. I, I'm assuming that Leia is here for the long term at this point, right? Like if if they didn't get rid of her after episode two... Like now the series, much like the Mandalorian and Grogu, it is sort of those those two seem so linked that I think she's going to be be around for the rest of the go, which is only two episodes, right. which is only yeah. two episodes. We are almost done, but we are not almost done with this episode of the podcast. Enough of this tomfoolery. We have our interview with writer Joby Harold and then star Indira Varma, who plays Tala coming up. You do not want to miss them, and they're waiting for you right after this super quick break. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Could episode four essentially be titled how Obi-Wan got his groove back? Because we definitely see him calling upon and using the force successfully a lot more in this installment than last week. The show by design across the six chapters is a little bit about Obi-Wan getting getting his groove back. Yeah, and, and and step by step, we get to enjoy that. And I think episode four is, is, is he's the rubber's meeting the road a little bit. It's always about why, right? It's about what are the stakes for Obi-Wan and what's causing him to, to get that mojo back. Um, and uh, yeah, four was a fun opportunity to, to see him do it. He, he, I was thinking though, as I'm watching it, he looked better, but he was, he was only really taking on stormtroopers. So I guess, I yeah. guess to, to, to dive a little deeper on that, how powerful is he at this point in terms of reclaiming his old prowess at like what percentage level is he at here? It's a stormtrooper level. <laughs> he, he, he's, you know, I mean, that's low-hanging fruit, but it's a necessary part of the journey to get to where he needs to be. So, you know, he's, he's, he's doing what he needs to do. 
we we know Leia has the Force, even if Leia does not know that Leia has the Force at this point. So I was curious, Joby, talk about how you all wanted to play that scene where Reva tries to break into her mind, because this is interesting because the audience has knowledge that I'm assuming neither character in the scene actually has at this point. Yeah, that's right. We wanted to be to to not be very overt with with Leia's full sensitivity. It's very much, as you said, the audience is ahead of the moment, um, and it, we didn't want to lean into it too much. Whilst you know, acknowledging the fact that the audience, especially the the fandom, is is cognizant of of who Leia is. Um, but at that moment, you know, it's it's really about those two characters in the scene, and we didn't want to sort of step out of the scene and start to say, you know. Here she is in her journey towards force sensitivity. But when Riva says you're strong, that's a that's a little bit of a nod for us, right? That there's you know it's clear that she has is not your typical ten year old. Um, you could infer that, but she's also being quite resilient as a ten year old as well. <laughs> when you're writing for this iconic character of Leia, you know, but you're also writing for a kid. So how much was was figuring out just sort of what level of of you know sassiness or precociousness or that you want to hit on without coming on too strong? Yeah, that's a really good question. It, it really did come down to finding the right actor, and that really you you have to find somebody who feels like they fit the voice of you know a young Carrie Fisher. And the the word I always look to was, and I've said this before, is spirit. Is somebody who feels spirited. They don't feel precocious. They don't feel like they are speaking as an adult writing for a kid, but they just, you feel the spirit of everything that Carrie Fisher built. And Vivian's just an amazing little actor. And, and she she inhabits that spirit in quite a miraculous way, especially in her scenes with Ewan. They, there's just an alchemy there that, um, that I think we were, we were really lucky to find. Well, it's interesting, Joe, because you can write it. But you don't know what it's going to be like until you see how that child per- actor performs it. So uh, what was it like once you started to see that performance? And then did you guys tweak the dialogue at all? Like, you know, you, you see how Vivian works and like, oh, this will play well with her or let's change this. Not too much. It was it was very much just sort of you you write it and then you cross your fingers and you know Deborah Chow is an extraordinary director and terrific with actors and she's very much an actor's director. They love her and and I think Vivian felt very comfortable with her and together they were able to find the performance that that you know we're seeing in the show. Well, I want to I want to ask you about a scene we just saw in in episode four here. Where did the idea come from to show these sort of uh, Jedi and stasis? in the fortress inquisitoris um it was we wanted to find something that in 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 the bowels of that um facility would feel shocking um but still be consistent with star wars you know you didn't want to have it to be too shocking but you wanted it to be something that really felt like a gut punch for obi-wan in that moment and seeing sort of the sort i always thought of it as sort of pinned butterflies on the wall the kind of how sad that is to see and the horror of everything the show is about Jedi's on the run and in hiding and being hunted as a visual, it sort of reinforces just how far from home he is. And, and, and we just wanted an image that felt resonant in that way. Um, and we set it up a little bit in three about nobody really knows what happens to, you know, so the idea that we get to see a little bit of that and contribute a little bit to the mythology in that way um, was just sort of a little bit of an opportunity. We tried to take advantage of, yeah, that was super cool. And, and speaking of super cool, you know, I, I I I was describing the scene with Vader in the town in episode three. I almost called it like 
your Rogue One scene because it had that spine chilling feel to it. What was the yeah. end of Rogue One sort of a reference point for you all in terms of like wanting to reestablish this guy as the ultimate badass? Yeah, at the end of Rogue One is wonderful. I think it's a terrific scene um, and a scene that I love. And yeah, we wanted to, you know, we get to take him out of a corridor into a village. Um, and But still there's, there's the point of the scene in three is to sense that there's a little bit of Anakin under there because it is a little bit personal. It's not just rage and it's not just sort of the, the professional ruthlessness of Vader. He knows you know, Obi-Wan is nearby and he's doing what's necessary to try to lure him out. And that is part of the conversation of the show. It's it's Obi-Wan and Vader. It's Obi-Wan being haunted by that thing that's coming down the street. Um, and it should be scary. Yeah, I, I could not have, <laughs> I could not have been more wrong, Joby, because I always assumed Obi-Wan and Vader would not fight each other until the finale, that it would all be leading up to that. So was having them meet in episode three always the plan or how did you get to that decision to have them meet up much sooner? Yeah, I think as a creative idea, it's something that had been knocked around for a while within the team, uh, if memory serves. And I think where it becomes interesting is because you are anticipating, you know, the, the heavyweight fight at the end to suddenly have this thing happen in the middle uh, is you're just not ready for it, and neither is everyone. And if you're not quite ready for it as an audience, you're in the shoes of the character who's not quite ready for it as a as a Jedi. And that um, that is a, is a hopefully a good example of, of structure and character meeting in a way that um, that hopefully plays well for the audience. Uh, yeah, I think it played well for the audience. <laughs> I think I can uh, affirm that. Uh, I, I know James Earl Jones is credited with the Vader voice, but did he did he actually record any of the new lines, or is this all respeech or technology? That's on part of production. That was with Deb. So, um, but but I mean, the legacy of his voice is so extraordinary that when you do see the dailies and you're imagining what the voice is going to sound like and then you you see those two things put together it's so dramatic that juxtaposition and it speaks to the original trilogy which is very much the tonal inspiration of the show to try to find that that feeling of majestic mythic patient grounded um that tone's hard to get to and, and vader and james Earl jones his voice is such a specific part of that that it was pretty amazing to hear it again you know, it's interesting, the, the Leia Obi-Wan thing, because in some ways, having this big adventure makes her reaching out to him in A New Hope with that message make even more sense. Um, but it does yeah. kind of make, but it does, but it does make her introduction at the video where she says, General Kenobi, years ago, you served my father in the Clone Wars, seem oddly formal. Like, he would not know who she was because the reference point is her father in the Clone Wars instead of this huge personal connection that they themselves had. How much did you all talk about that? Because it, that one law, that one part of the line is a little confusing yeah the uh we talked about it a lot and the uh you know we're looking forward to the show uh airing in you know its entirety so that hopefully all questions are answered fully so it's tricky to feel some of those questions mid-process <laughs> uh but uh, yes yeah, so i can say is we're very cognizant of that and of canon and and um you know it's a it's a, a massive um team a lucasfilm so we're all very aware of all the choices that are being made Speaking of uh, asking you about things mid uh, midstream, mid airing, uh, uh, in in many ways, the most shocking thing in the show so far for me was the fate of the Grand Inquisitor, right? Because he's alive four years later in Rebels, yet he took a lightsaber to the chest here in episode two. Joby, I actually audibly gasped 
when it happened <laughs> because you know so and Rupert Friend gave me the backstory of the character before the series came on which which matched the one from Rebels so are you all messing with timelines here is he actually not dead what is going on Joby talk to me again uh, similar to the previous answer there's there's the, it'll be so much easier to speak to these things once we've aired everything um but as I said before, you know, we are, we very much take canon very, very seriously. And um, there are many, many people behind the scenes who, who prioritize that. So um, we, we have it in mind. And um, by the time everything has concluded, uh, all things should be in place. I was speaking with Indira Varma, and she told me her character of Tala went through you know, a lot of changes, had some different backstories at different points in the process. She also said at one point the character was going to be a love interest for Obi-Wan. But what she said that really interested me is that in her mind, right, the way she's playing the character, she thinks, and the way she's playing it, is that Tala does love him, even if it's maybe not a love story. Do you agree or disagree with that? Uh, she's an amazing actor. She really is. And she and I would talk about the character and the background of the character. And, um, you know, it would be, if that is in that's where she's coming from, it's what an extraordinary position to be in, especially if it's a Jedi, knowing that a Jedi can't necessarily reciprocate that. Um, so it's, uh, I think what she did with the role was so good. I really, I'm, I, I love her as an actor. And I think those choices and the internal stuff that she worked on and she works hard on that, you can see that. In, in the choices she's making in the show. She's great. She's a total yeah, she's really good. She's really good in this. All right. I remember I asked you this before uh, the season started airing a few months ago. I, go, I said, look, I know this is a limited series, but, you know, it's Obi-Wan Kenobi and the fans are going to want more. And, and you know, you and Deb said, hey, you know, the story's the story and this is the story we built and it's one season. Thank you very much. But then Kathleen sort of left the door open as a studio president is wont to do. Hey, you never know me. And then I asked you and you had said, I do more. I love doing it. So, Joby, you know, I'm coming back at you now and I'm asking <laughs> you what's going on. Are you at least in your head thinking about ideas of season two just in case? I, it's been very gratifying the reception and the fact that you know so many people have been watching it and um it's it's lovely to hear that there's an appetite for more internally and on the outside with it this this story was always intended to be a complete limited story in six chapters um so that was my concentration and deb's concentration and our focus and what happens in the future happens in the future but um it's it's right now i'm so focused on this that I'm just looking forward to uh, the remaining chapters coming out. You're telling me even in your head, you haven't even percolated late at night or in the <laughs> shower. You're not thinking, well, you know, we got nine other years to play with. You're not thinking already. Come on. Look, I, before I was even doing the show, I was lying in bed thinking about Star Wars stories. So nothing's changed there. Uh, all right. Look, we, we have two episodes left. Uh, I know there's hardly anything you could say. But what can you tease in terms of what's coming up uh, next, maybe thematically or anything else in terms of as we're uh, sort of getting near the end game here? Just that, you know, one of the challenges with the show is we know where it begins and we know where it ends. Um, and part of the fun of it was in the journey in between, taking us to places maybe you wouldn't expect and um, some surprises along the way. But hopefully there's a satisfaction to, to landing the plane back where we all, you know, um, imagine it'll end up vis-a-vis -vis episode four and a new hope. So there's some, there's some emotional stuff ahead. There's more surprises ahead. Um, and hopefully when everything is concluded, we'll be able to look at the whole thing as a complete story and some of the earlier choices will make sense. So, um, I'm just excited for all, all to get out there. 
Yeah, the problem is you're landing the plane, but apparently it has like a tracker on it. Apparently there's some tracking going on. There's always trackers, there's trackers. Joby, man, it was awesome to catch up, dude. Uh, uh, thanks for chatting out. I really would love to chat with you once the whole series is complete and you, we can uh, talk a little more freely. It was awesome, man. Yeah, we can break it down. <laughs> All right, cool. Thanks so much to Joby Harold for answering our Obi-Wan burning questions. Joining us right after this quick break, Indira Varma, who plays Tala, tells us about her character's changing backstory and storyline. It's coming up right after this. How did you end up on the show, Indira? How did it all come together? My manager asked me, he said, oh, this has come up. Obi-Wan Kenobi's come up. Would you be interested? And I was like, uh, yeah, of course I would. And, um, because I, even though I'm sort of, I'm not like, I don't come from a place of being a massive fan and I haven't watched it for the last however many years it is, 45 years. I visited it sort of in the meantime over the years. And I thought, well, I'm going to have to do a little bit of research here. So I wanted to watch, because I knew it was Deborah Chow directing. I wanted to watch The Mandalorian and also because I had Pedro in there as a sort of an easy little, oh yeah, wow, I know he's great. And I thought it was fantastic. And I was really engaged with it. I loved the humor in it. I loved the sort of humanity in it. And then I was like really up for having a chat with her. And I just felt that she's so easy to talk to. And she was obviously so engaged with and interested in us as, as actors and what we have to bring and in character arc and in emotional journeys and in relationship, which is, of course, why I'm interested in acting. And so, and I felt like, actually, there's a, there's a lot here that's going to be fun to do. And plus, hey, you know, who doesn't want to work with Ewan? <laughs> and who doesn't want to be in the Star Wars world? You know, it, there's so much, so many boxes were ticked. Uh, I was really excited. So did you and Pedro, uh, have you compared notes on being in the Star Wars galaxy uh, and what have you? Have you guys had a little note? Uh, not as yet. I did ask him some for some um, some intel and uh, that was useful. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like intel on the Star Wars or intel on working with Deb because you've done that in The Mandalorian uh, or both? A bit of both. Yeah, yeah. a bit of everything. Um, yeah, it was great. And he had nothing but brilliant things to say about Deb. So. Yeah, that's it. That seems to be across the across the board. Yeah. Yeah. What I love is that, you know, we saw you, you know, people watch a trailer and you know, they're trying to decipher it. Right. Just from like a few frames they're like, like, who is this person and what's this all about? And like, so we saw you in that trailer and you're looking very stern, very imperial. (laughs) And so that ends up being a really cool pump fake when you show up and then immediately flip the script and just start blasting stormtroopers. Oh my God. I know. And it was pretty, I felt it was slightly frustrating because I had all these friends saying, Oh my God, you're an Imperial officer. Um, and then of course, that's literally the first second that you, you see me on screen. And then my cover is blown 20 seconds later. Um, so that was really hard to sort of bite my tongue with. It was really nice to sort of play a double agent and to be somebody who's a code switcher and who uses that sort of nasty front to, to do good. So how much like backstory did Deborah or writer Joby Harold or anyone give you for Tala in terms of like, we, we pick up and we meet her and she's already in this place. How much did they yeah. sort of tell you? Or did you work out in your own head in terms of like how she became who she is as this double agent? 
Yeah, I mean, we talked about various things because, I mean, there had already been different incarnations of the script and the storyline. And I think originally she was going to be a love interest, but then they felt that it was kind of maybe a bit cliched. We were always like the woman turns up and, oh, they fall in love or whatever. And kind of more interesting that this is a woman with agency who is not just going to fall at the feet of Obi. Having said that, having said that, I do think that she is, you know, she's... In my heart, she's in love with him because she's prepared to give up everything to to further his his quest, you know, and to help him out. So that's my little secret thing that's going on inside. But um, I do think that, yeah, we talked about several different versions of what her backstory could be. There was talk about maybe she'd lost a child in in a war and that she had therefore become disillusioned. She'd, she'd become an imperial officer because she thought they were going to do good. There were all these kinds of storylines that were going on with being bandied around. And um, yeah, but of course, if, if too much of it, if, if, if not much of it is going to be seen on screen, there's a limit to how much you want to share what your, your inner life is, you know? But, it, but it's interesting to hear that because I was going to ask you about that because she, she finds up being in this, this place where, you know, Obi-Wan's like, prom- you know, promise me, take her, go. And then she's with Leia, but she's got to make a tough call, right? And she knows he's yeah. in trouble out there, but he's spo- she's supposed to stay with Leia. And then, and she, she does ultimately, she, does, she turns <laughs> back. And now for you to say, well, I think she's got a little, you know, a little spark there for Obi-Wan kind of helps yeah. inform that decision. Yeah. But, but also, I mean, I think she was very, um, because Leia had spent so much time with her, with him, sorry, um, I think she was convinced by Leia's argument. You know, it's hard to say no to a small child. And also, I don't think she imagined that Leia would be taken hostage. Right. Yeah. You know, I thought she she thought she she was safe. It's a pretty bold move to start firing a. Uh her blaster and like even in the general vicinity of Darth Vader like I wouldn't do oh that Dara I would, I would just cut <laughs> and run yeah what can I say she she will do anything yeah she's very courageous I think that's that's part of it she's she will risk it all did you ever take a minute during filming to be like I'm in the middle of a battle between Darth Vader and Obi-Wan Kenobi like this is insane like what am I doing here yeah I mean listen day one on set was like that Actually, the Darth Vader scene was also one of the times we were on set rather than being on the volume um, in the studio. And my first day was my first day on screen, my first moment on screen where, you know, you rock up. It's like a desert. I don't know. I can't call it a moonscape, but that kind of other world. And there are a bunch of stormtroopers. And it was just I, I kept having to stop and take a breath because it was just incredible. And I kept laughing. I kept giggling because it was just too wonderful. And then also, you know, seeing Darth Vader, it was genuinely your heart. You get your heart is beating faster. Just seeing him there live in front of you. This is 3D. It was, yeah, it was really exciting. Uh, Listen, you're, you're used to big scale stuff on Game of Thrones, right? You're used to big productions, but what you mentioned the volume what was it like seeing that technology? Because even, you know, you and I, uh, when I spoke with him, he's like, this yeah. is crazy. Like, and he yeah. said how much he loved it because back in the day when everything was green screen, he just was reacting to, he had no idea what. And now obviously he's got everything there right in front of him. Yeah, it's extraordinary. I mean, I liken it to actually stepping inside a video game. It's like a 270 degree 
panorama around you, you've entered the world. And instead of having to sort of watch uh, someone carrying a stick with a green cross on the end of it or whatever, you know, and pretend that, oh, look, that's our eyeline for a ship or whatever it is, you've actually got the thing flying in, you know, and and, and it's three dimensional. It's not just some sort of two dimensional flat graphic. It's what it's going to look like on the screen. And that is that is just it's jaw dropping. It's really exciting. Before I'd started shooting, they invited me to go and, and visit the volume. They weren't on that particular volume. And it was the it was from episode two. It was the kind of the brothely red light districty kind of place. And I was given a camera so that I could look through it and see how much it comes to life through the camera. And and that is amazing. It's really incredible. There were moments where you'd have to walk across the set and it, you were in danger of falling off it because you didn't know where <laughs> the wall stopped and started. You know, it, it was nuts. I was speaking to Kamel Najani uh, recently, and he was saying uh, like it was such a trip for him because not only is he working with Obi-Wan Kenobi on a scene and he's a big Star Wars fan, but he's working with Ewan McGregor. And like you mentioned earlier that just yeah. like, what was it like working with him and, uh, you know, as number one on the call sheet there? Working with Ewan? Oh, well, it was just so easy. I mean, he's just, he's just, the loveliest guy and he's such a laugh I mean we had it was dangerously giggly to be honest um (laughs) we did get told off a couple of times for giggling but I think that that's what's so lovely it's kept alive you feel like this is not somebody who's phoning in some performance that he's already thought of before he got to set you know what I mean it's like he is playing with you it feels collaborative it's fun but without being sort of if I can say this piss takey, you know, you always feel that there's this huge element of respect for the material. So I feel it. he elevates it. He elevates it just being himself, but in his attitude and his work ethic, he elevates it. I, I was thinking, you know, because we mentioned that, that the, the Imperial outfit, you know, I'm, I'm certainly no style maven, but that was a pretty snappy outfit, that Imperial uniform. Were you kind of bummed you only got to wear it for a few <laughs> minutes of on-screen action? You were looking good in that well. thing. <laughs> Could be again, though, right? Might get to put it back mm-hmm. up. <laughs> it's also fun because once you enter the Star Wars universe, and I was talking about this with, you know, Kamel and Rupert and stuff, is that as we see now, they keep kind of crossing characters over and characters in the animated world go to live action or characters in one show and another. Like, you're in, Tala's in the canon now. Like, she exists. And like, they keep doing new shows and this and that. Have you thought at all about like, is there a possibility that I know it's only a six episode limited series, but you know, look, I mean, look, you can't think in that way because if I started going, Oh, imagine, imagine there's going to be a spin-off, and then it doesn't, I'm just going to be wishing for something that's not going to happen. Obviously, if it were to be a possibility where we go into her backstory or anything like that, my God, oh God, it would be amazing. It would be incredible. So, yeah, I'd love that. Of course, well, put it out there, put it out there. You know, as we meet her in this episode, like, I want to know that backstory. Like, I like the kind of what they're yeah. doing now with Cassie and Andor, and they're showing his backstory. Like, I'd love to know how she got into this place. A, how she started, you know, working for the resistance and B, how she got infiltrated into that sort of, you know, I'd love to see that. Yeah, because you do think, my God, how can this person work for both sides? It's so dangerous. That I mean, how do you? How did it first happen? I was curious about that. Yeah, I'd I'd well, like to know too. 
what can you tease in terms of what's coming up for your character? And I know you have to be careful here, but what can, what can you, what sort of teases can you give in terms of something that we might be able to expect with, with, with Tala? Well, I think I've already hinted. <laughs> you have. I'm trying to get more <laughs> hints. You can't blame me. That's my job. That's my job. <laughs> I think I've dropped two, actually. <laughs> That's all I, I'm saying. I love it. I love the character. I can't wait to <laughs> okay. see where it, where it goes. In Imperial uniforms, out of Imperial uniforms, whatever it might be. I, I can't wait yeah. to see it. Thank you so much. Thank you so much to Joby Harold and Indira Varma for joining us. And thank you all so much for listening. That is it for this episode of Dagobah Dispatch. If you liked what you heard, follow, rate the podcast, and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. To keep the conversation going, follow Entertainment Weekly on all socials, at EW on Twitter, and at Entertainment Weekly everywhere else. You can also tag us at Dalton Ross, at Devin Kogan, and at Morglar. This episode of Dagobah Dispatch is hosted by Dalton Ross, Devin Kogan, and Lauren Morgan. Produced by Chanel Johnson and Sammy Junio. Edited by Sammy Junio. Full episode transcripts are available at EW.com. Thanks for listening.